4: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
6: Well, from Welcome to Love you, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you in the second segment Going to be joined by Dario Melendez. He is the sports director over at WISN 12. That is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That is the local, I believe it's ABC affiliate in Milwaukee. And then on top of that, he does a great job over at Bali Sports doing pre- and post-game work and some general reporting for the Milwaukee Brewers along with the Milwaukee Bucks. Doesn't work, ironically enough, with ESPN Milwaukee as well. This guy is completely tied in to the Wisconsin sports scene. And we're going to be chatting about... Just what we've been seeing with the Milwaukee Brewers in general with them. taking a look at the NL Central taking a look at their upcoming series with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we're also going to be talking about just how wide open this postseason might wind up being in the National League as well. So we're going to have a great chat with Dario, One, the better baseball mindset you're able to find out just in the country. So I'm very much looking forward to that in the second segment. In the final segment, going to give you guys fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday. As we touch them all, first things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we got one or two ways to be able to fire this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind letters ZM yeah, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, to fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Really did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, and because the Greg Peterson experience is now five days a week from. 9 to midnight Pacific Time, Eastern Time, and it starts a day later, as it's technically midnight to 3 a.m. I'm going to be having a little bit of a tough time recapping some of these West Coast games, so if there's something that you'd like to hear in place of some of the recaps on the West Coast games, if you've got a suggestion, at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter, very receptive to all of it, and... In the meantime, I will be recapping a little bit of what I couldn't wind up getting to pretty much like a day and a half ago on this podcast in the meantime and if you got other suggestions, let me know but we're going to be operating that way as of right now. So let's take a look at back at everything that we wind up seeing in pretty much the last 30 hours in Major League Baseball. I'll try to find some trends and try to get to know these. seems a little bit better.
0: A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap.
6: From Tuesday, you did wind up seeing Aaron Judge get home run number 51 as the Yankees got it done by a kind of seven to four. the big concern here, though, Jamison Tyon. We shall see what winds up happening with him moving forward, but he wound up leaving this start relatively early after he wound up taking a line drive off of the side of his body. That's not necessarily too terrific. X-rays were negative, it appears, so shouldn't necessarily be too bad, but the Yankees, who you traded away Jordan Montgomery. You know what? That's honestly too terrific. Anthony Rizzo in that game, by the way. Home run number 30 off of Mike Myers and Andrew Benintendi went deep off of Myers. Says, nothing funny about this for Mac- Mike Myers. He gives up seven runs, five of which were earned over the course of four innings before Tukey Dessant. One hit, give it up in five scroll of settings in relief, so that was relatively hilarious. And you've been seeing the Phillies have their struggles with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Unsure of how Wednesday wound up turning out, but on Tuesday, Aaron Nola was supposed to be the ace as we were talking about this game with Raheem Palmer on decent. He's talking about him coming up jacks. Eight runs, given up over the course of four innings, including Homer. Going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Jake McCarthy. He wound up getting home run number 5 of the season as he also had a triple and 5 RBI in this game. And Zach Gallen, seven scoreless inning. Zach Gallen, by the way, he has been absolutely tremendous this season. 10-2 record, 253 ERA. Mark Melanson, Noya Ramirez, clean it up from there with Noya Ramirez giving up 3 runs in his inning of relief. And you did wind up seeing the Padres get it done as my DK Nation pick for Tuesday was the San Francisco Giants. Tried to get a little bit of a sign of life with Jock Peterson getting home run number 20 of the season in the ninth inning against... Nick Martinez, but not enough as Blake Snell, six scoreless innings in the San Diego Padres, have been able to get much more out of Blake Snell as his roadie area is now a full half a point better than his homey or he's up. Unsolved for him before, Nick Martinez wound up giving up two runs in that ninth inning. The team had not allowed an earned run through the entirety of the game. And for Logan Webb, how about a tough luck loss right here as now 23-5, and in his 28 pitching appearances at home during the regular season last two seasons, 100 on run, given up in five and two-thirds innings, and there there was three errors behind him. You did wind up having Tyler Rodgers hurt by those three runs, one of which was earned, given up in two-thirds of an inning. So that was relatively brutal for them. And then you did wind up seeing the Twins and Red Sox on... Tuesday wound up having a very high-scoring affair, 10 to 5. Final on that one is Cutter Crawford. He wound up giving up five runs, four of which were earned as the Minnesota Twins had Jake Cave go yard for his third home run of the season. Gary Sanchez his 13th home run of the season, and Nick Gordon had a grand slam for his sixth home run of the campaign. So that was not necessarily too terrific. So that's window dressing for what we wound up seeing on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we wound up seeing the Milwaukee Brewers take down the Pittsburgh Pirates by kind of 6 to 1 as for the Buccos, Zach Thompson. Four scoreless innings in his start. Not too bad. And then, well, it was the Pirates bullpen that wound up not doing a great job as Miguel Lajor. He wanted giving up five runs, four of which were earned in one of a third innings. Many Benuelos, 100 runs surrendered in his inning of work before Joan Ramirez and Robert Stevenson. They blend one and two-thirds innings scoreless Ben Gamble. He has the lone shot of the day for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 7th home run season. That comes off for Freddie Peralta who gives up that home run over the course of five innings. Taylor Rogers, Brad Boxberger combined for two scoreless innings before Adrian Hauser comes in and he's able to give two scoreless innings, looking a little bit less like Dookie and for the Brewers. They strand 13 in the on base. They still win by kind of 6-1. Of we'll talk a little bit more Brewers in the next segment with our good friend Dario Melendez. If you're taking a look at the National league it was a interesting one between the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants but the Giants they once again wanted getting down early they were unable to come back after being down five to zero they lose by kind of five to four as Joe Musgrove wanted getting lit up a little bit towards the end of the start giving up three runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings, but they wind up having a lot of then punch outs Adrian Motajon he winds up giving up a run in an inning as Luis Garcia gives you an out of the bullpen and Josh Hader a scoreless inning for the San Diego Padres in a high-leverage spot. He didn't completely wind up blowing it, so that was a good sign for them and for the San Francisco Giants. Alex Wood had the wood laid to him. Four runs surrendered in five and two-thirds innings. Zach Liddell gives up a run in one and third innings before Alex Young, Dominique Leon, and Scott Alexander were able to lend a scoreless inning. The New York Mets before... Behind a one Jacob at home, they wind up getting a ton by kind of two to one for the Dodgers. Tyler Anderson, a relatively solid start, he gives up two runs over the course of seven innings as he was taken deep by Starling Marte of the Marte Parte, 16th home run season. That's all the run support Jacob DeGrom would need. He did wind up giving up a solo run of his own over the course of seven innings to Mookie Betts' 32nd home run the season. But Jake Reed, a scoreless setting for the Dodgers after he was DFA'd by the Mets like a month or so ago. Edamon Vino, Edwin Diaz out, trumpets were out. Diaz winds up getting the save, and Edamon Vino a scoreless setting for the hold. You wind up having the Baltimore Orioles, who, as I do this podcast, are now two games out of the final wildcard spot Get it done against the Guardians, four to zero, the final. As for Baltimore, pair of home runs to this one. You get no home run number fifteen of the season out of Ramon Urias, and then Gunnar Henderson, highly touted guy. I believe that he was a very highly picked guy as well. He winds up getting home run number one of his career. As for Cleveland. Tristan McKenzie wanted giving up the home run to our young guy in five innings. He winds up giving up two runs. The other home run was given up by Eli Morgan as he wanted to gain just two outs out of the bullpen, allowing a solo home run. Sam Antiges gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen as well as Nick Sandlin. One in the third inning, scoreless. Brian Shaw, scoreless setting, but for the Guardians, nothing doing. Great start here from Jordan Lyles. Six and two thirds inning, scoreless. CNL Perez, four outs out of the bullpen, and then Felix Batista, a scoreless setting. The Houston Astros go on the road. They take down the Walker-Texas Rangers by a count of 5-3. to As Christian Javier, not necessarily the world's greatest start, giving up three runs over the course of five innings, including a home run to Corey Seager, 29th home run of the campaign. But for Martin Perez, who has been solid all season long, sub-3 ERA gives up five runs over the course of five innings. No home runs, just lots of hard contact. And what has been good for Perez all season long, has been cutting down on the walks. Four walks over the course of five innings as the Houston Astros Go, go and leave 13 men on base, but they were able to go 3 of 13 with men in scoring position to be able to get that done as Phil Maton, Ryan Sanik, Will Smith, Rafael Montero all lend a scoreless setting out of the bullpen, and for the Texas Rangers, two scoreless settings out of Dennis Santana, Brock Burke, Brett Martin, they were both able to give a scoreless setting as well, but Not enough for the team to be able to get the job done in this one. Just enough for this team to be able to get the job done as the Miami Marlins just continue to be completely and utterly awful on offense. Four runs or fewer. In 27 out of their last 29 games, the Tampa Bay Rays have Drew Rasmussen get the start in a 2-1 win. Where he winds up giving up one solo run over the course of six innings. John Birdie, third home run season. And for the Miami Marlins, they have now played 130 games. They don't have a single healthy back currently in their lineup with more than 7 home runs. Now, I recognize that there are a few guys with more than 7 home runs that are injured, but that is just sad and I mean, for Trevor Rogers, he binds it coming back up to the big leagues. One run surrendered over course of six innings before Tanner Scott, Dome Flores, Stephen O'Kirt. They blend a scoreless inning. Tommy Nance gives up an under run in the 10th. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, good bullpen pitching of their own. Pete Fairbanks, Colin Pooch, Jason Adam. They wind giving a scoreless saying before they're able to get the job done in the 10th. You did wind up seeing the Chicago Cubs go on the road as a relatively sizable underdog. And right now we're going into the 8th inning with the Cubs having a lead and perhaps knocking down the Blue Jays a notch. And if they wind up losing, Blue Jays would have just a two-game advantage over the Orioles for that final playoff spot. As for the Chicago Cubs, they've been piecemealing this thing together. Luke Farrell winds up giving up two runs over the course of two innings, including a homer going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevon Biggio, home run number four of the season. Then don't call his name, Alejandro Kirk winds up getting home run number 13 of the season off of Eric Yeoman, who winds up giving up three runs, getting just two outs out of the bullpen, but Emmanuel Rodriguez, two scoreless settings, Mark Leiter Jr., he winds up blending a scoreless setting. Michael Rucker, he winds up giving a scoreless setting, and Brandon Hughes. As I'm doing this, has just entered into the game, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, Mitch White, he just got ding-donged all over the place. He winds up giving up six runs over the course of four and two-thirds signings, bullpen is been able to hold it together from there, but Framio Reyes... Home run number 13 of the season. That has just become a big giant calamity out there. And speaking of calamities... Mike Miner wound up landing a relatively solid start for the Cincinnati Reds. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings, which is relatively solid for him. Right now as I'm doing this, it is 2-2. And the Reds bullpen has not necessarily had a great track record, as he did wind up having Jose Kitana give up just two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. So similar set lines for both starters. And now we've gotten into the bullpen of both of those teams. And we're just getting started on games like Phillies versus Diamondbacks. Yankees versus Angels, but we did wind up seeing one of those big giant favorites being able to come through as well. I've been outlining this quite a bit the last few days, but the Atlanta Braves, they do wind up being able to get the job done against the Colorado Rockies by a count of three to zero as Kenley Jansen is able to close the door in the ninth inning. And just a superb start here from Kyle Wright, who has been really trustworthy for the Atlanta Braves. His turnaround has been big. Seven scoreless settings. A.J. Minter was able to give you a scoreless setting out of the bullpen. And for the Atlanta Braves, Austin Riley entered in this game with just two home runs over the last 33 days. He goes deep. Home run number 32 of the season off of Ryan Feltner. And Feltner gives one up to Ronald Lacuna Jr. 11th home run season. I mean, the Team didn't pitch too bad. Feltner gives up three runs over the course of five to two-thirds. innings off of those two deep balls. Alex me, Jake Bird, both give you a of inning. And Austin Gomber, and out-out of the bullpen. But nothing to him for a Colorado Rockies team. That they always have the most demonstrative home-and-road splits in the big leagues. You wind up seeing the Washington Nationals also be able to polish one up against the Oakland Ace. 5-1 to in this one as James Caprillion. The cap wound up becoming... Well, sent to Davey Jones's locker as he winds up giving up five runs, two of which were earned over the course of five and two-thirds innings, with Luke Voigt getting home run number 18 of the season. From there, Zach Loeb two-and-a-third innings scoreless, and really the main form of offense in this one for the Oakland A's, Damaris Garcia, he winds up getting home run number two of the season as for Washington. Anibal Sanchez, who's about 788 years old, gives up one run over the course of seven innings before Carl Edwards Jr., And Kyle Finnegan wind up being able to clean things up from there. And as I'm doing this as well, the Seattle Mariners, they wind up being able to get the job done against the Detroit Tigers as this one is just going final as Eugenio Suarez got home run number 25 of the season and Abraham Toro home run number 9 as... Marco Gonzalez gives up three runs off the course of six innings. Andres Munoz, Eric Swanson, they come out of the bullpen from there. And for the Detroit Tigers, wound up having Tyler Alexander on a relatively solid start, giving up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Jason Foley, four out of the bullpen scoreless, but Alex Lang gave up one of those bombs. Two runs in total over the course of an inning. And for the Detroit Tigers, just the continuous inability to be able to go deep. They're averaging right around 0.65. Home runs per game this season has been relatively deplorable on that front. But what has not been deplorable has been taking a look at unders just really through the entirety of the baseball season. And if you do take a look at how the unders have been faring, it's been a little bit better recently than overall for the campaign. 945 unders to 887 overs for the season. So right around 51.6% to the under overall for the season. You do take a look at the last... 30 days and it's right around 190 unders to 182 overs, obviously, with a few games pending. But you wind up branching this out to the last 60 days at about a 52% under rate, 377 unders to 349 overs. And in this time span of the last 60 days, favorites 453 and 308, so hitting at about 59 and a half percent. But it's been really interesting. So looking at these home favorites, they're hitting a little bit over 62% straight up 284 and 173, but among these 284. Home favorites to be able to win outright. Seventy-nine have failed to cover the run line. Few of these are because games wind up getting called before nine innings, and if you wind up having one of those ordeals, your bet winds up getting refunded on the run line and the total. But certainly interesting to take a look there. And if you're looking at the entirety of the baseball season, favorites still sitting close to 60%. One thousand one hundred fifty-two and seven seventy-three, according to covers. That's a fifty-nine point eight percent hit rate. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now, and that's what we wound up getting on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday. And let's take a look at things out there in the great state of Wisconsin with Dario Melendez does a great job over there at WISN 12 that is the ABC affiliate over in the great city of Milwaukee also does great work with Bali Sports in the great state of Wisconsin I believe that they're officially Northwest might be just Bally Sports Wisconsin as well I always get confused by those but I know he does great work taking a look at the Brewers taking a look at the Bucks just tied into the Wisconsin sports scene we're going to be taking a look at this upcoming Brewers versus Diamondback series going to be taking a look at the National League playoff picture and so much more with him next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Dave Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 GAMBLER.
1: Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on post reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers, and I'm Ella Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise.
2: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye.
4: And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
0: or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
5: The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.
2: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season.
4: and these stories are about how we got here both on and off the court and what's next listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
5: breaking down every game every day in major league baseball this is the baseball betting show here is your host Greg Peterson
6: and we're back to with Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Craig Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And great to be joined by our guests as we go out to my home state of Wisconsin. Dario Melendez is doing an absolutely amazing job. Take a look at a little bit of everything. That we're getting out there in the Wisconsin landscape as he is the sports director over there at WISN 12 Sports. That is in the city of Milwaukee. He is right in the heart of everything that we are seeing as you've got the Milwaukee Brewers in a big postseason race. I know that he appears quite frequently on ESPN Milwaukee as well, the radio station that is 94.5 on your radio dial. And to be able to follow Dario on Twitter, that is easy enough at Dario underscore Melendez. Last name is spelled. M-E-L-E-N-D-E-Z. And Dario, great to have you board. Thank you. No, oh, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I always appreciate a good playoff push. And the Milwaukee Brewers are trying to do that. As It wasn't necessarily the greatest start for the Milwaukee Brewers on Wednesday. But the offense, it was certainly able to wake up. And I do think that that is a key moving forward for the Brewers. Because I'm not sure how you've looked at this Brewers offense. But just in looking at it this season, it's been very Jekyll and Hyde. I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that they haven't necessarily had that table setter this year that has consistently been able to move the line. But in a strange way, Christian Yelich has went from being really a guy that when he was in his MVP form hitting 30 to 35 home runs to being a little bit more of a guy that draws that walk, gets a single to be able to lead things off. I think that that's big because the Brewers are very much a team that has been relying upon the deep ball, but just being able to turn those solo shots into two to three run homers, I think could be big as the Brewers try to be able to make the playoffs.
9: And look, we saw it in the seventh inning in a uh, Wednesday's game where you always hear a bloop and a blast. All you need is a bloop and a blast, get on base, maybe get another guy on base and then hit a home run. Well, Right now, this Brewers team, even though David Stearns and Matt Arnold try to put together teams that no one had hit home runs, they just haven't been really doing that this month. They've gone into a little bit of a lull, so it was nice to see in the seventh inning of this game, we saw a little bit the other night on Monday as well, you know, just get on base and move the line, pass the baton, get a single, draw a walk, get the run in however you can, have a little bit more plate discipline, not just swing big all the time. And you're right, look, you sign Yellow to this big deal, and look, you don't want a guy making $35 million a year, hitting just 11 home runs. I don't think that's what the Brewers had in mind when they signed him to that huge contract. But it's moving to the top of the order. As you mentioned, he gets on base. He gets on base at a high percentage because of his ability to kind of still threaten pitchers, not wanting to kind of go at him all the time. He seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable. You would like to see the power to start to come back, but haven't really seen that yet. But because he can get on base, you have William Adamas, who just continues to be a really productive bat ever since they got him
6: last March from the Tampa Bay Rays. With the Brewers hitting as well, something else that is very big. Kesson here ever since he has pretty much resurfaced with the big league lineup, that's been big as well because I've taken a look at the Milwaukee Brewers this season, and one of the big things for them is that the bottom of the order has been a little bit rough, and and let's call it what it is, the catcher's pot hasn't necessarily been delivering the way that you'd like it with guys like Omar Nervais, along Victor Carantini and company. But I feel like ever since Keston Hira wound up getting consistent at-bats for the team, things have really been able to go northward as well because with Hira, for the last few years, it's been a big disappointment ever since he wound up having that big rookie year. But now he's starting to show those big flashes that he wound up having in year number one.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, this has been the 2022 Keston Hira revenge tour. And I think this just speaks to the player development staff that the Brewers have. Because you have to remember, back in 2019, Corbin Burns was so bad that they took him out of baseball oh, and they took, of AA, they took him out of double a they took him out of triple a they sent him down to the arizona lab that they have there were all the mad scientists kind of reinvent you and corbin burns goes from being a guy that was almost a bust after an amazing 2018 to a cy young winner and then you look at custom Hira, where he comes on in 18 has a great freshman campaign great rookie campaign kind of has a little bit of a glimpse of that in 2019 2020 is kind of a wash anyway and then you look at 2021 he was just a disaster in the offseason he settles down that toe tap doesn't get the leg elevation as much the brewers hitting staff the brewers personnel staff really working with him to kind of fine-tune and simplify his mechanics a little bit and then boom you have a guy that's not just producing at the AAA level but he's producing at the major league level in a big way so the issue for craig council and this is a good one how do you get him in the lineup because the weird thing about Kristen here is that he has reverse splits like he's so good against righties but not great against lefties. When you have a righty on the mound, I just don't know where you fit him in. Maybe you're platooning him and McCutcheon at the DH position, but if you're platooning, that just means it's going to be less at-bats for guys like McCutcheon and Hero because both those guys are probably the most productive bats on the field. But this is a good problem to have for Craig Council, trying to find a place for Keston Hero to play because right now he is by far the hottest bat this Brewers team has. You need him in the lineup as much as possible, especially in September.
6: Yep, and the Brewers offense has certainly been able to come on as well as this is a bunch that they've been able to get to at least five runs and now four out of their last five games. So things are certainly starting to heat up a little bit for the Brewers bats, which has been something that has been worth noting all year long because it's been a little bit of a zigzag for them as joining me on the podcast. We do have Darry Melendez who does a great job over there at WISN 12. He is the sports director over there and When it comes to the upcoming series for the Milwaukee Brewers, calendar turns to September. They're going on the road. They're going up against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not quite confirmed on betting boards out here in Las Vegas, but it looks like it's going to be Merrill Kelly who's going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who's had a relatively solid season, and it's going to be Brandon Woodruff for the Milwaukee Brewers. and. Brandon Woodruff has been one of the most interesting pitchers all season long because prior to him going on the injured list, I think we both agree this was not the Brandon Woodruff of old. It, things were going very, very badly From He's actually pitching halfway decent at home. He could not wind up putting together a good start on the road to save his life. Ever since coming off of the injured list in very late June, he has given up two earned runs or fear in every one of his road starts. I'm not sure what you've seen with Brandon Woodruff, but just in watching him, he looks like not just the guy that we wound up seeing in like 2020 slash 2021, but he actually looks better since coming off the injured list than I can remember him ever being. Guys get tired. I mean,
9: Brandon Woodruff has been pitching all offseason. Obviously, you get a little bit of downtime, but in February, guys started ramping back up, and you had the lockout, so they don't really know how they should be prepping for a season, and then you have to kind of condense some games. So I mean, some guys sometimes guys get tired in June. I think we're seeing a little bit of a fatigue for Brandon Woodruff, but he goes on the IL, he comes back off, and you're seeing the Woody of old. And you're going to need a guy like this, especially against the Diamondbacks. And look, the Diamondbacks, as you mentioned, they're not great, but they're not bad. The NL West has been really good, so it's hard to kind of get a barometer on some of these teams. But this is the team the Brewers should beat. And you don't need to sweep them. You just need to win the series. And if the Brewers really have a realistic chance, a realistic idea of making the playoffs, you have to win every series, or I would say 9 out of 10 from here on out. And it starts with Arizona. And if you take a look at the last three, four years, I mean, Craig Council has been a September guru. This Brewers team has really made their money, made their name in this month. So it starts with, obviously, Brandon Woodruff taking on a team that the Brewers on paper should beat. But if you look at what happened in August, I think they went, what, nine and about five and nine, maybe six and nine against teams below 500. So, I mean, you just have to be able to take care of business against teams that, again, on paper and – what they've shown throughout the season are inferior to you.
6: Yeah, And to your point, the Arizona Diamondbacks have actually come on very strong recently going into the game. We wound up seeing against affiliates on Wednesday, five straight wins, sweeping a White Sox team that if you want to take a look at disappointments in major league baseball, oh, sure. there's exhibit a for you. Yeah. It's not been a great situation to say the least, but I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting in game number two of this series as well, because I think that both of us remember Zach Davies' days with the Milwaukee Brewers. He was relatively solid. Ever since then, he's went from team to team to team. He was with the Cubs for a year. He was with the Padres for a year. Now he's resurfaced with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we talk about some of these Brewers guys having a little bit of a career renaissance, specifically Brandon Woodruff coming off the injured list. And Davies has said that he's going up against Eric Lauer, in which he had such a good start to the season. Things have been sort of stagnant for him ever since and with really the issue for him being the deep ball, 17 home runs, give it up in his last 14 starts. And I think that this is really going to be the biggest game of the series as we take a look at that one because Davies does have a little bit of familiarity with the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm not sure what you've been seeing with regards to Eric Lauer, but it's been very strange with him. And it's going up against a guy in Zach Davies that is not going to wind up going out there and getting like a double-digit amount of strikeouts. But it's been a pretty steady-eddy guy here for the Arizona Diamondbacks.
9: Well, what I love about this is these are the two guys that were traded for each other. So it <laughs> yes, was sir. Trent Grisham and Zach Davies sent to the Padres. Luis Urias and Eric Lauer sent to the Brewers. I believe this is the first time these two are kind of head up on each other. And they're very similar guys just throwing from the different side of the mound. I mean, both kind of soft throwing precision dudes. I think Eric Lauer has been really good. His issue is he'll have two to three pitches that are just really bad. And those two to three pitches end up as home runs. It's kind of like what Tiger Woods always says. Like when you're on the tour, everybody knows you're good. But how good is your bad? And right now, Eric Lauer's bad has been bad. It's limiting the mistakes for him inside the zone because I think we see it. He has kind of like this invisicutter cutter where it just sneaks up on you and then cuts out of the zone, just explodes late, and guys just don't seem to be able to pick up over it, pick up on it. And Davies has always just been a pro. I mean, he's steady Eddie. I mean, he'll always—he's not going to blow you away with a fastball, but he's changed speeds, kind of like a Kyle Hendricks. And again, I'm not going to compare him to Greg Maddox, but kind of like in that realm of pitching where. You're not going to get overpowered by Zach Davies, but he's going to try to outcraft you. So the good news is Brewers have tape on him. A lot of these guys play with Zach Davies. They know what he does. They know what he's like. I'm excited. Look, Eric Lauer has been really good against the NL West throughout his entire career, especially the Dodgers, which we all know about. But if there's a good opportunity for him to kind of Get on track and get off to a good September. It's again, it's against an NL West team like the Diamondbacks.
6: Yep, and we're mentioning the NL West right now. Is joining me on the podcast? We do have Vario Melendez, and that might be the best opportunity for the Brewers to be able to make the postseason because you take a look at the division right now. And the Brewers find themselves five and a half games out of that NL Central lead against the St. Louis Cardinals, who really have been rolling ever since the trade deadline. They wind up picking up Jordan Montgomery. He's been able to lend some relatively solid stars. Offense has really been able to get on track for them. But you take a look at the wild card, and we're mentioning trades between the Brewers and the San Diego Padres. And, boy, Josh Hader, as we record this, he's got an ERA that is – He's got an ERA that is north of the current year. And when your ERA is north of the current year, you know it's really not going well for you with the San Diego Padres. But I think for the Brewers right now, if they're going to be able to crack the postseason, I'm not sure if you disagree with this or not, it's going to be needing to leapfrog the San Diego Padres, a Padres team in which we mentioned it, the NL West. It is absolutely loaded. And with the Padres, they've got a good lineup. They obviously wind up trading for a lot of pieces, but they haven't necessarily been the world's greatest at home. And on top of that, They've got a murderer's own schedule that I know that they wind up playing against the Cardinals, the Dodgers, towards the back half of the month of September as well.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, the Padres and the Brewers, I believe, as we speak now, are tied in the loss column. So that's all that really matters to me. So, I mean, they're tied for the last wild card spot. The Brewers' schedule is much easier. And for some reason, the Padres just seem to kind of collapse in September. And don't forget, the Phillies aren't further up. I mean, I think the Phillies are like two games up in the loss column. So the Brewers have a chance, are within striking distance of those two ball clubs, Brewers also have four games, I believe, against the Cardinals in September. It's been a wild August for the St. Louis Cardinals. But if I go back to 2011, when the Brewers lost like three games in August and the Cardinals had to come back from eight down to win a wild card and then go on to win the World Series. I mean, if I'm picking one way or the other, I'd rather the Brewers start getting hot in September and not hot in August. I've seen that story play out, and it doesn't play out well. If the Cardinals stay as hot as they are for the next three months, good for them. But baseball is a game of regression and regressing to the mean. I don't see the Cardinals being able to continue this pace. So I still think the Brewers have a really good shot at the division, just with their record and the head-to-head matchups they still have against the Cardinals. But they also have probably a better shot of getting either the first or second wild card spot because the Phillies are going to have a solid schedule down the stretch. And the Padres have a murderer's row, as you mentioned. Plus, the Brewers have a very soft schedule and a very home heavy schedule. So, there's definitely a lot of paths, but it all comes down to the Brewers taking care of business, as we mentioned, against teams that are just inferior to them, something they weren't really able to do in August and really most of July as well. You have to beat teams that are in last place, you have to beat teams that are in 500 or below 500. And you can't just let these young guys that are trying to prove something to their ball club send a message and make a moment for them against you.
6: Yep, and both of us know this all too well. The St. Louis Cardinals, they just always seem to be that team that towards the end of the season they're, they're super never annoying. ever want to play. They're super annoying. The 17 game win streak last season was one of the most ridiculous things that I had ever seen before in my life. Fortunately, I was riding quite a bit of it, so I was able to make a little bit of money off of it. So I will gladly take that. But boy, that was absolutely ridiculous what we wound up seeing from the Cardinals there, a team that I just cannot wind up counting out until they are officially eliminated from postseason play and when they wind up making the postseason until that final out is recorded in their final playoff game. That is a team that I will never, ever count out. But just taking a look at the National League, it does feel like towards the top – It is pretty loaded, and I do think that this is going to be a very open postseason as well because I think we both agree, Dodgers, best record out there in the big leagues. They've been very dominant in terms of their run differential, but if they've got one weakness, it's a weakness that you don't want in postseason, and that's the fact that Craig Kimbrell, their closer, has been terrible this season. So I do take a look at that along with the collapses, and I do think that teams like the Mets, the Braves, if the Brewers are able to get into the playoffs, if the Cardinals wind up getting a series, I think that things could be very wide open in the National League. And I think that this could be a postseason in general, even on the American League side, with the New York Yankees having their struggles, that we could wind up seeing some big giant chaos in October. Oh, look, that's what you
9: want. And I think I read a stat. It was what the Dodgers in a fifty-game stretch went 43-7 and with three yep. or four of those losses coming to the Brewers. So it's not like the brewers don't have the pitching or the hitting to keep up with the LA Dodgers. I think we all know that the Dodgers are the class of the national league, but they're not invincible. So to your point, I mean, parody is great. The fact that you don't have a a, a 100% juggernaut that's going to come out and just take the league and take the postseason by storm is a good thing because for a majority of the season, it looked like it was going to be an old Dodgers Yankees rivalry in the world series, but there's been some interesting twists lately and, Again, I would love to see if this Brewers team just get to the postseason. I think the bullpen just has to figure itself out because we kind of joked about the Hater stuff, but that bullpen has been in shambles since Hater left because they just they don't know their identity, unfortunately. And I think Craig Council is trying to play matchups rather than play roles, which is what you had when you had Hater because you had your seventh and eighth inning and ninth inning guy, but now they're trying to play the matchup throw this guy against the heart of the order in the seventh inning then kind of piece it, mail it from there as soon as that bullpen clicks again it kind of figures out their identity which we saw a little bit during this homestand i think the brewers are going to be really really dangerous
6: and the brewers do have some solid arms seven williams in my opinion is one of the best relief pieces in the big leagues brad boxberger somehow some way has found some life the last few years with the milwaukee brewers and and look taylor
9: rogers taylor rogers was an all-star Bush has a ton of speed and a ton of weapons. He's kind of like on the Eric Lauer thing. He has that one bad pitch per outing and it turns into a moonshot home run. Hobie Milner has been outstanding. You might get Topa back at some point. I mean, they got arms for days. And again, at some point, you're going to have to whittle down your six-man rotation. So maybe Hauser ends up in the bullpen. Maybe Lauer ends up in the bullpen. So the, the team, just they just need to kind of like settle down and get over this hater hangover, which I think they have. But once they kind of get comfortable in these roles... I mean, like I said, the run prevention is going to be there.
6: And to your point about Taylor Rodgers, I do think that the hate wound up going a little bit too far with him as well. Because if you take a look at that stretch where he had like a nine ERA, his fielding independent was like sub three, and he had a nine ERA for like a month and a half, which that's one of the worst strings of luck that you are ever going to find. So I do think that he's going to be able to find his equilibrium at some point, and that bad luck is not going to wind up continuing. But we always have good luck when you're on the podcast, Dario. I know that you're doing a great job covering the entire Wisconsin sports scene. The Brewers, they're in a big, giant push to be able to try to make the postseason. But on top of that, as we both know, Green Bay Packers football is starting up soon. The Wisconsin Badgers are going to be in action. We've got a lot going on. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms.
9: Yeah, uh, Dario underscore Melendez on Twitter, Dario Melendez TV on Instagram. And as you mentioned, I mean, we got Badgers starting this week, Packers starting next week, and then you're going to blink your eye, and the Bucks are going to be back in town. It's going to be a lot, but that's why I loved my job at Bally covering just the Bucks and Brewers, but. Being able to kind of be back in a spot where I can cover all the teams has just been a blast.
6: Absolutely. And it's just so much fun to be able to take a look at all these sports as it's the best time of year right now. And then once we wind up hitting early November, Big Ten College basketball, that's always of intrigue. You're not going to have Johnny Davis anymore for the Wisconsin Badgers, unfortunately. But with that said, they're just a machine they never wind up saying down. So that's something that I'm certainly going to be into as well. And Dario does a great job of just covering the entire Wisconsin sports scene. There are a few that are more passionate about everything that we wind up seeing out there in the great state of Wisconsin, like Dario. And it was great to have him on board today. Big thanks to him for joining me right here on the baseball betting show. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all.
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
6: And we're back here with Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great to get Dario Melendez on. He does a great job over there in my home state of Wisconsin. Certainly going to be interesting to see what we get out of the Milwaukee Brewers moving forward. And he's a man that's very busy with the Green Bay Packers getting going as well. Does a great job as the director over there at WISN 12 News as their sports director. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
6: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at unit underscore d1. Could it be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where... We wind up going with the National League games first and the American League games. The lone interleague game that is going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So without further ado, let's get started with the DK Nation pick of 951-952 on the betting board. It is the New York Mets playing OCLA Dodgers as Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers. And Chris Bassett as the hook, line, and sinker for the Mets. The Mets are between a plus one twenty-five to a plus one twenty six underdog, and between minus one thirty-five and minus one forty is the number on the Dodgers. Totals anywhere between seven half and eight on the seven half overs minus one twenty, the under is even on the eight. Under is between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is between even a minus 105. And I feel like the Mets should be the favorite in this spot. I have this line completely flipped to where I was willing to lay up to about a minus 120 or so on the Mets. And the big reason why is that, I mean, this is Clayton Kershaw's first started about three to four weeks. And Clayton Kershaw has been solid when he's been out there, giving up right around .7 home runs per nine innings. He was the all-star game starter, but... That said, he was dealing with a back issue, and now you have to have him go out there in his start, first start since August 4th, and he has to wind up going up against, for one, this Mets team, and two, he has to go out there after his last three starts. He had went five and a third innings or fear, and it's not like he had wound up going into the break that he wound up having going in in great form as he had given up a grand total of 11 runs over the course of those last three starts, going up against the Giants twice and going up against the Colorado Rockies. So I've got massive question marks here. With Clayton Kershaw, you know what? On the flip side, Chris Bassett, I don't have as many questions with him. He has been superb in his last five starts. 4-0 record with a buck 62 ERA, has not given up a home run in any of his last five starts ever since the all-star break. This guy has been nothing short of terrific. 275 ERA at home now. Doesn't deserve the 4-5 record he's got it home, but he's given up six home runs over the course of 85 innings with opponents hitting a 224 off of him at home. He's getting right in the neighborhood about 8.5 to 9 strikeouts nine innings, and all of a sudden, this is a Mets bullpen that has been able to come along. Adam Avino posting up a 209 ERA, Seth Lugo, ever since he also break. Sub-25 ERA, Tommy Hunter has been solid, and that's a great bridge to what I think has been the best closer in the big leagues all season long, and Edwin Diaz, a guy that is getting darn near half strikeouts Burn nine innings, on the flip side for the LA Dodgers, biggest Albatross they have is that closer, as Craig Kimbrell has been less than impressive. They find themselves up by a run in the ninth inning, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Now, you have had Evan Phillips, Caleb Ferguson, post up a sub-2 ERA. David Price has been sought out there in the bullpen. He and Alex Vizia have right around 260 ERAs. And no doubt, no, this is a Dodgers lineup that is very fearsome. As you've got Joey Gallo, Trey Turner, Will Smith, Freddie Freeman able to throw in there. Cody Bellinger as well, all giving you between 15 and 19 home runs this season. Though, I will say with Gallo, Bellinger, Max Muncie, and then... Austin awesome. Barnes, all hitting a 210 or lower, though I will say Trace Thompson as well. He has been terrific, Mookie Betts, 31 home runs, and then get 280 at the leadoff spot with Turner and Freeman, both hitting above a 300, but the Mets, they've got a gentleman that's hitting at 320, that'd be Jeff McNeil. They've got a relatively good amount of power as well with Francisco Lindor, 85 RBI, 21 home runs. Pete Alonso, he's been able to go deep 30 times this season, and this is a Mets team that's been one of the best all season long at being able to move a line thanks to a guy in Starling Marte who's one of the better base fielders out there in all baseball and also has a 350 on base. I think that the Mets should be the favorite. I just don't have a lot of faith in Clayton Kershaw. One, looking sharp here, and two, lending a lot of length. I've got a little bit more faith here in the Mets being able to get a good start out of Chris Bassett. I like the way that the Mets bullpen is pitching. So the DK Nation pick is going to be on the Mets' money line in this spot. I also do wind up setting it at a 7.7. Would rather have a 7.5 over rather than an 8 under. We shall see how this winds up shaking out, but we'll be trying to get a 7.5 over if at all possible and we'll be going with the Mets with the DK Nation pick. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. The Leonard Braves find themselves as highest favorite on the board as they play host to the Kyle Rider Rockies it's Chad Cool is going to be going for the Rockies and Spencer Strider on the bump for the Braves. Braves are as high as a minus 420 favorite, as low as a 390. Between plus 330 and plus 350 is your price on Colorado, with 8 being the total over and under, both at minus 110. I made the Braves a minus 285 favorite, and that's just not enough. (laughs) I mean, it's just a situation where the Colorado Rockies have gotten so high that it's just a take on them. I recognize that Chad has not necessarily been the Mona Lisa Vito of pitching this year. I recognize the Colorado Rockies have been the worst road team in all of baseball, but going into yesterday, as plus 250 underdogs, they had won each other last two. Ralph Michaels, who does a good job over there at talk tweeted out, it was the ninth time since 2003 that we've seen a team as a plus 250 or greater underdog in back-to-back games wind up winning them both outright as a plus 250 underdog. That throws out anything in which they were less than that, and it's happened now four times this year and just like I said, nine times since two thousand three. So this has been a little bit of a wonky year and for Chad Cool, I recognize that the ERA is a five one seven, but you know what he does? Six and seven. He has a six ERA, which is not so great, giving up on the road, right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. A bigger concern for me is the walks. He's given up five walks per nine innings when he is away from Coors Field. Opponents overall, hanging get 275 off of him. And Spencer Strider, you'll love the strikeout stuff. This guy has been able to give you over 12 strikeouts per nine innings. He has been phenomenal in that aspect. As a matter of fact, closer to 13 strikeouts. Per nine innings, he wound up giving up eight runs in the month of August across his five starts, so was able to do a relatively solid job there with all of them seemingly coming against the Mets, as he allowed one run or fewer in four out of those five starts, he wound up having to blow up against the Mets, so he's legitimately giving up one earned run or fewer, and now eight out of his last 10 starts. But I do feel like a little bit of regression is coming for him because he is someone that sometimes does wind up struggling with command. Now, credit where credit is due. Two walks or fewer in each out of his last seven starts. But overall for the season, he has been given out the free pass with right around 3.2, 3.3 walks. Per nine innings. So, and this is a Colorado Red Rock. You see that they do wind up seeing a dip in their offense when they are on the road by about 40 to 45 points in terms of batting average. And their home run power winds up shrinking not quite in half, but goes from about 0.65 home runs per game on the road to about 1.1 home runs per game at home, but you still have CJ Crone who has been able to give you 24 home runs overall for the season, recognizing 18 of them have on it coming at home, but someone like Jose Iglesias does have north of a 300 batting average. When he has been on the road, you've had someone like Brendan Rodgers be able to move the line both at home and on the road, though his power certainly has been a little bit better at home, but you've also seen Alex callme come back for this bullpen. That helps them out. They've got Lucas Gilbreth on the injured list, which that does wind up hurting them a little bit, but you've also been able to get really good innings out of Carlos Estevez. He's been able to post up a sub-1 ERA Over the last thirty-five days for the Atlanta Braves, they've got a couple struggling bats. As hard to believe, I'm saying it, but Austin Riley has not been good recently. He has got two home runs over the last five weeks. He's still been able to move the line, hitting for about a 350 on base, but the batting average has been closer to about a two fifty in that time span at Olsen. He's got 27 home runs this season, but his on base, it comes and goes. Zansby Swanson, Michael Harris the second, these have been stalwarts hitting at 288 or higher, and then you've had Vaughn Grisham. The absolutely tremendous since getting called up to the big league, sitting above a 300 so credit where credit is due there, but the Braves, they themselves have been having a little bit of a tough time in terms of their bullpen as well. A.J. Mint Wound up having a little bit of a collapse on Sunday night baseball. Jackson Steven is currently on the injured list. Kenley Jansen, he's been better ever since coming off the injured list, but still have your question marks there. No question, the Braves they should be a favorite and they should be a rather sizable favorite, but laying four dollars here, no thanks. I am good. I will take the big Mondo plus number with the Colorado Rockies, recognizing that these three dollar favorites have just not been good all season long. Going to take the Mondo number here. So total is 7.9 as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at an under. 955, 956 on the banking board. The Milwaukee Brewers at the road off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It is currently to be determined for the Arizona Diamondbacks, looking like it's going to be Merrill Kelly. And Brandon Woodruff is on the bump for the Brewers. We saw one initial line go up with the Brewers being a minus 145 favorite and a plus 130 on the Arizona Diamondbacks with a seven and a half overs minus 120 in the unders, even obviously subject to a little bit of change if the Diamondbacks do not wind up going with Merrill Kelly. And at this number, I'd be looking at a little bit more of a run line, in my opinion, because I did wind up making the Brewers a minus 142 favorite. And as of right now, we just don't have run lines that are currently available. But I did wind up making my handicap if it is Woodruff versus Kelly. Brewers minus 142. And if it's a plus 125 or more, I'd be willing to take the Brewers laying a run and half, as I did wind up setting my total low. I set it at 7.2, so I would be looking at an under when it comes to the Diamondbacks, they've been able to get just such great starts out of Merrill Kelly, which is why I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring game. We wind up seeing a little bit of a scoring calamity in their series against the Philadelphia Phillies. But with Merrill Kelly, he's been able to post up his sub-3 ERA, has really done a great job, of being able to keep the ball in the yard right around 0.6 home runs per nine innings surrendered. It's actually been a little bit worse at home rather than on the road. Three sixteen home ERA compared to a two seventy four ERA. On the road with opponents hitting actually about 48 points higher off of him when he is at home. Meanwhile, for Brandon Woodruff, he certainly has had his struggles a little bit more so on the road rather than at home. 434 road ERA compared to a 222 ERA at home. But since coming off the injured list, it certainly has been perhaps the best thing from as he has allowed three earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts since then and this is now a sample size of 11 starts so prior to him going on the injured list was a little bit of a hot mess ever since then things have been looking much much better and as a matter of fact his road starts have looked much better as well since coming off the injured list and every one of his road starts two earned runs or fewer surrendered he's been able to get still right in the neighborhood about 11 and a half strikeouts per nine innings this season and it's a brewers bunch that they don't necessarily do the best job of being able to move the line you really don't have any anyone other than Christian Yelich hitting above two sixty, but you do have a little bit of consistency with this lineup as Yelich, Colton Wong, Hunter Renfro, Kessin, Hira, all these guys in between about two forty seven to two sixty. And since Hira has come back up to the big league team, he's been hitting well above a three and then Renfro, I mentioned earlier. William Adamas, Roddy, tell us. All these guys have been able to go deep at least 23 times this far this season. You do need a little bit more of the catcher's spot for this team. But the Brewers offense, it is starting to come along a little bit. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they just haven't been able to hit for power at home the way that they have on the road. On the road, they're averaging right around 1.3 home runs game. At home, it's a little bit south of one. You do have Christian Walker, who's won deep 30 times this season, and to the credit of Christian Walker. Second half of the season has been very kind to him. First half of the season, things were a little bit more of a struggle. Post-All-Star break has been ending above a two fifty, so Quite a bit of credit where credit is due there in the month of August. He was hitting, as a matter of fact, right around a 340 with seven home runs. So he did a very solid job there. And they've been able to get a lot out of Stone Garrett going into the game yesterday. very small sample size, but a pair of home runs in 23 at bats had went nine for 23. So perhaps you have a little bit of something there as Jake McCarthy, Josh Ross are both hitting above a 275 for the team. Keitel Marte of the Marte Parte. He's been able to reach base along with Emmanuel Rivera between a 244 and a 250. And for Rivera in just as time with Heroes and the Diamondbacks has been hitting right around 275 now. The trepidation that you've got with the Diamondbacks. This bullpen is terrible. Kyle Nelson... Along Sean Poppin, were guys that so were posting up a sub 3 ERA. They're currently out of the fold. So, currently, you've got Joe Mantiply who's been able to do a solid job. But Luis Frias, Reyes Baranta, along with Noe Ramirez, Mark Melanson, all these guys, posting up a north of 4 ERA. Kevin Ginkel right around a 5 ERA. And for the Bill Brewers, it's been a little bit touch and go with them. Devin Williams has shown a little bit of regression, but still has been very solid. I believe 3 are nerds now in his last 41 appearances. Brad Boxberger has a sub 3 ERA. Peter Strzelcic has not necessarily been great, along with Hobie Milner, but been able to get some relatively good bullpen pitching for the Brewers. So, with the Brewers willing to lay up to a minus 142 if it is Woodruff versus Kelly, and on the seven half that we were seeing a little bit earlier, we'll be looking under. I would need a 7 or less to be willing to take a shot on the over. 957, 958 on the betting board. You've got the Seattle Mariners. They're on the road. They're facing off against the Detroit Tigers. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Tigers, and Logan Gilbert is on the bump for Seattle. Seattle's between a minus 145 to a minus 150 favorite, and for Detroit, and between plus 130 and seeing size plus 145, as I'm seeing a minus 160 populate on Seattle. 7.5 is the total. Under is minus 120. And the over is even. And with Seattle, I do think that Logan Gilbert is going to be able to lend a relatively solid start in this spot. So I'm going to be looking to delay a little bit more of a run line here. I'm willing to go up to a minus 107. And right now we're seeing that at right around a plus 110. So... Wanted to take a shot here, and I did wind up saying my total. And at 8.1, you've got a Detroit Tigers team that, no question, they have been a little bit more grody on offense when they've been on the road rather than at home. And they've been able to pick it up a little bit as they wound up having that big, giant explosion against the Texas Rangers. Now, it was against Koji Iohara along with Dallas Keiko, but that's it for the Detroit Tigers. They've taken out some of the dead bats as you've got Miguel Cabrera sitting at 260. No power whatsoever, but simple reach base. Same goes for someone like a Victor Reyes and a Hero cast, or both of these guys in between about a 280 to a 285. Been able to get a little bit of production recently out of Carrie Carpenter as I mean, you've got Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Tucker Barnard, Akil Badu, Cody Clements, these guys hanging at 220 or lower, but these guys are starting to see fewer and fewer at-bats. Now, you still have the problem with the Tigers of the entire team having fewer runs than the duo of Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo this year, but guys have been able to reach base, and for the Seattle Mariners, you've got a pair of guys, in in, you Suarez along with Udio Rodriguez, who entered into the game yesterday with a combined 45-home runs, both giving you right around at 325 on base. Now, they themselves have a couple dead-bats. Abraham Toro, Cal Raleigh Carlos Santana You've got a few other guys like a Jared Kelnick, who I think is a September call. up these guys are in about a two fifteen or lower. But with that said, Rolly, I mentioned he's got nineteen home runs. Mitch Haniger is back at full. He was huge for the team last season in one hundred and twenty at bats this season, seven home runs. So he's done a solid job there. And Sam has been able to three hundred. And you've got a pair of bullpens that are going in opposite directions since the beginning of the month of June. The Mariners they have been number one in terms of bullpen ERAs. So you've been able to get absolutely. Fantastic production out of guys like Diego Castillo, Andres Munoz. A pair of guys that at the beginning of the season, it was certainly not going well for them. They have really been able to shape up here down the stretch. You've been able to get good production all year long out of Paul Sewald, Penn Murphy, Eric Swanson. All these guys are posting up a sub-3 ERA. And then on the flip side, for the Detroit Tigers, you still had guys like an Andrew Chafin, Jose C. Serrano, Jason Foley be able to do a solid job but we've seen Gregory Soto start to regress a little bit so we've been having a little bit more of an issue with the Tigers bullpen they did wind up trading away Michael Fulmer at the trade deadline so that does wind up hurting them a little bit and then both of these starters they're a little bit befuddling in my opinion as Got someone in Logan Gilbert who has been not in the world's greatest form over his last few starts as you take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of August and it was a case of which his ERA was north of a 5 that month. As a matter of fact, it was a 675 across 5 starts. He wanted giving up the walks a little bit more, right around 3 walks per 9 innings. Opponents hit a 333 off of him. Overall for the season, he's actually been a little bit better when he has been on the road rather than at home. So that does wind up playing to his advantage. 15 road ERA compared to a 395 home ERA though. He's been giving up right around one home run per nine innings in both environments. And when it comes to the flip side for Eduardo Rodriguez, he has come off of a little bit of leave, a little bit of injury. And he hasn't looked bad in his first few starts. As two starts against the Angels and the Rangers, a combined one run surrendered over the course of 11 innings. He has given up quite a few hits, and he did wind up giving up three walks in those starts. And able data date it back to prior to him going on the injured list at least two walks in each out of his last five starts. Three plus walks in four of them. That is something that could wind up rearing its ugly head in this circumstance. Has been able to pitch a little bit better at home, but... 25 and a third innings with many of those being innings that wound up coming when it was very cold outside in like April, early May. So it's a relatively interesting sample size. Rodriguez has been looking a little bit better in terms of the swing and miss stuff, but I do have my question marks with the Tigers bullpen being able to hold up without Michael Former. It seems like regression starting to set in there. Logan Gilbert has been a little bit shakier as well, but I do think that the Mariners offense starting to be able to kick it up as well. Wanted to take the Mariners on the run line in this spot. So I'm to a little bit north of eighth. So, looking over as well as 9.59, 9.60 on the betting board. It is you can say Royals. They are on the road facing off against the Chicago White Sox as Johnny Cueto goes for the Sox and. Get LTB be determined is on the bump for the Royals, so this is a game that is presently off the board. Last time we wound up seeing the Royals in this ordeal, they did wind up going with Daniel Lynch. I've got it handicapped as if it is going to be Daniel Lynch as well, and if this would be the case, I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 190 with the Chicago White Sox with a total of an 8.8 to where an 8.5 or less will be looking at an over a 9 or higher to the under. Got to be curious as to how the Chicago White Sox are going to be responding. A little bit of a managerial situation with Tony La Russa out with health issues. And it certainly is not going to be a case in which it winds up affecting every single game. And we've seen it work both ways. Worked out very well with the Philadelphia Phillies when they wanted moving on from their manager. Obviously, this is not a moving on, but a little bit of a different ordeal. Meanwhile, the Angels did not work out so well. But I think that Johnny Cueto is a steady-eddy guy that in this sort of an ordeal you would want to have. On the mound for Cueto, he did wind up getting lit up in his last start. And he hasn't been as good at home as he has been on the road. He wound up giving up seven runs in his last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And as a matter of fact, he had given up a combined eight runs in his previous Four starts with, I believe, only seven of them being earned. 408 homey area compared to a buck 81 roady area with nine home runs in 64 innings. Surrendered at home and on the road, just four bombs in 59 and two-thirds innings. I do think that he's going to see a little bit of positive regression in terms of the home runs that he has surrendered at home, especially with going up against the Kansas City Royals lineup, in which you do have Salvador Perez, who's been able to go deep 19 times, and Bobby Witt Jr. has been able to pound out 18 home runs. Both of these guys have been relatively solid on that front end. Credit where credit is, too. Salvador Perez, was hitting for a ghastly bad batting average before going on the injured list. He's been hitting above a third over the last three days, so he has really been able to pick it up, but you don't necessarily have a lot of line movers past that. Michael massey has been able to ride around at 250. Along with Bobby Witt Jr., been able to get a little bit of something out of Nicky Lopez. He's been able to ride around at 240, but... So, we'll have guys like a Nick Prado, Nate Eaton, gentlemen like this, they're hitting a 215 or lower. And for the Chicago White Sox, the good thing about this team has been their ability to be able to move the line. As you've right now got Eloy Jimenez along with Jose Abreu, both hitting above a 300. Problem with this team has been the lack of firepowers. Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, all between 12 and 14 home runs. And these are your leaders in terms of home runs. Vaughn has been able to 285 for this team, but some clear righty and lefty splits. When it comes to the Chicago White Sox, when they wind up going up against lefties, they just completely rake against them. And if they do wind up getting Daniel Lynch, that is a left-hander. And for Daniel Lynch, he's actually been better on the road with a 4 ERA compared to a 547 ERA at home. And when he's went up against the Chicago White Sox, the season has been pretty darn good. A buck 69 ERA. Let's give it up just three runs over the course of 16 innings. So something to take a look at on that front, but also... Gotta take a look at this Royals bullpen, and it's currently dead last in the big leagues in terms of ERA. Carlos Hernandez has turned into a long guy. He's gotten north of a 70 ERA. Luke Weaver has been absolutely terrible. Scott Barlow, Dylan Coleman, both of these guys are shelling out a sub-3 ERA, and for the Chicago White Sox, they've been able to figure it out a little bit more with their bullpen, as well as Liam Hendricks, Kendall Graveman. These guys have been good in the 8th and ninth inning, and Rinaldo Lopez and Jimmy Lambert, a pair of failed starters, are posting up ERAs of a 3.05 or better, so these guys have been able to do a nice job. If it does wind up being, Cueto against Lynch, making the White Sox minus 189 on the money line, pretty much even money or better, I would be taking a look at the run line, and an eight and a half or less we'll be taking a look at an over, a nine or higher to the under. As it's nine sixty one, 962 on the bagging board. The Baltimore Orioles on the road facing off against the Cleveland Guardians. As Shane Bieber has a fever for going for the Cleveland Guardians. And Kyle Bradish is on the bump for the Orioles. With the Guardians, they are between minus one eighty and minus one eighty favors. Between plus 160 and plus 166 is your number on Baltimore. If you're looking at the run line, you're going to be finding the Guardians at plus 115. And to the this game, it is 7.5, under is minus 120, and the over is even. As well, I'm want to take the Guardians at a plus 108 or greater. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Guardians on the run line. I typically do not want to go up against the Baltimore Orioles on the run line just because they've been so good at covering these games because they're bullpen. It has been nothing short of terrific as you've got Felix Batista, Dylan Tate, C.N.L. Perez, Keegan Aiken, Joey Creeble, all these guys giving you a sub-3-2 ERA in the bullpen. But the one guy I feel like you can really fade is Kyle Brady Should credit where credit is due to Kyle Brady. He's now giving up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. He has went fewer than six innings. In all but one of those starts as well, coming off of his best start of the year against the Houston Astros. And, and the team has went 4-1 and one in his starts. But when it comes to Kyle Bradish, he's also been giving up a little bit over 1.6 home runs per nine innings, north of three walks per nine innings as well. Now strikeouts per nine rate, that's in the neighborhood about an 8.9. He's been able to do a solid job there in his ERA. Does shrink from a 629 at home to a 479 when he is on the road, but certainly is allowing a lot of contact in general. His opponents are hanging right around at 300 off of them. And for the Cleveland Guardians, Right around 65-ish percent of their home runs have on a coming at home thus far this season. So that has been an interesting split, but I just have so many guys that have move the line for the team. It's Andres Andre Jimenez, along with Josh Naylor. They've got 15 home runs apiece, and then Jose Ramirez. He's been your main match for over 100 RBI, 26 home runs, but with Naylor, he hits right around at 265. And then you've got Oscar Gonzalez, Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, Amid Rosario, Stephen Kwan, all hitting at least a 280. For this unit and then for Baltimore, it's been very much good balance when it comes to the team Austin as Austin Ace, Ryan Moncastle, Ryan McKenna, Ramon Urias throwing their Anthony Santander, Adelie Rushman. All these guys hitting between a two hundred forty-three to a two fifty-eight Santander, 23 home runs this season. Most of these guys do have a double digit amount of bombs and then you've got Cedric Mullins who's hitting about a three hundred over the last five weeks. He's hitting a 266 overall for the season. He and Ode Mateo. And Mateo, he's been hitting nearly a 300 ever since the All-Star break as well. Both of these guys in the top five in terms of stolen bases in the American League. But to counter the Baltimore Orioles' good bullpen, you've got the Cleveland Guardians who have Emmanuel Clase, one of the most lights-out closers in the big leagues. Angel de los Santos, Trevor Steven, Nick Sandlin. These guys are posting up a sub-3-1 ERA. So, You've got a good Cleveland Guardians bullpen. You've got a good starter going at Shane Bieber that I recognize that the strikeout numbers are a little bit down from what we've seen in past years. But after he wound up having a stretch in which he wanted up giving up three plus runs in five out of six starts, Shane Bieber has really been able to pick it up here in the second half of the season, giving up two runs or fewer. And now each out of his last six starts, this guy has been absolutely dominant. As he has, as a matter of fact, given up a combined six earned runs. Over the course of his last five starts, zero home runs and four walks render. Over the course of his last four starts, he has gotten six plus strikeouts and four out of his last five starts. I like the way that Shane Bieber is rolling. Home ERA is a little bit northward of 325 compared to a road ERA of a 288, but has been relatively consistent at home at not giving up the deep ball. Two home runs give it up in 55 innings. So I do like the Cleveland Guardians on the run line. And this is a total that I did wind up saying at a 7.6. I do think that the Guardians do wind up getting to a guy in Kyle Bradish has been a little bit better recently, but still can be had. So looking at the over along that Guardians run line, 9.63. 3, 964 on the betting board. The Texas Rangers are on the road facing off against the Boston Red Sox. As Rich Hill is going to be going for the Sox. And Glenn Otto is on the bump for the Rangers. Rangers are an underdog between plus 135 and plus 140. Between minus 148 and minus 155, your number on Boston. 9.5 is your total over and under. Both at minus 110. And I do want to make him my total of 9.7. For Glenn Otto, the good news is that he's been better on the road than he has been at home. But... The bad news is he is a part of a Texas Rangers starting rotation that right now has went down the toilet bowl. As for Otto, big thing for him is that he just has not been able to have command. He's given up right around 4.8, 4.9 walks per nine innings while posting up fewer than seven strikeouts per nine. That is not a place where you want to be now. On the road, 353 Rodieri. Give it up five home runs and 51 innings. Relatively respectable there. Opponents are just a 2.11 off of them, so you kind of like what you're seeing there and he is going up against the oldest active starting pitcher in the big leagues in Ridge Hill, 42 years young. He's coming off of a very good start in which he turned seven scoreless settings against the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, he does have, in his last four starts, two in which he wound up giving up at least four runs, but those wound up coming against the Braves and the Houston Astros, two very fearsome lineups. Now, I will say this, for the Texas Rangers, you've got some fearsome bats in this lineup as well as you've got a trio of guys that will be able to give you 20-plus home runs, in Corey Seeger, Marcus Simeon, Nate Lowe, and Adelise Garcia. So actually four. In general, as you've been able to have Garcia along with Seager, both in that neighborhood about a 255. Nate Lowe, he is now hitting right around at 300. You've been able to have Jonah Heim be able to give you a double digit amount of homers. So, this is a very loaded lineup that has OD Tavares doing a good job moving the line with a 335 on base. But with the Rangers, you also have a bullpen that has been pretty deplorably bad. You've got Matt Moore along with Brock Burke, both of these guys posting up in the area that is sub two. But then when you wind up getting past that, Jonathan Hernandez has been okay for this team, but you've got Dennis Santana's got north of a five ERA. Jose Leclerc has been up and down, looking a little bit better recently, but got your question marks there. AJ Alexi is needing to be used as a long guy and for the Boston Red Sox going into what we wanted seeing on Wednesday. Six one five was their ERA post All Star break. That is by far the worst number in the big leagues. Next worst, the Kansas City Royals at a five forty, and when you've got Jurice Familia, Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, Caleb Ort, all posting up north of a five ERA. It makes things very tough. Garrett Woodlock has been solid in multiple innings when you've been able to get him. And John though he's had a little bit of regression has been relatively solid, but what the Red Sox are able to hang their hat on is this offense. As you've got a lot of guys that they do a tremendous job to be able to move the line. J.D. Martinez had about a 50-day stretch in which he was hitting below the Medillus sign of 200. So it's been a little bit touch and go with him, but still hitting a 270 for the season. Alex Verdugo, Rafi Devers, when he's been out there, Christian Arroyo since he's been in and out of the fold. Thinking about a 280 to a 290 with Devers. Supplying 25 home runs, you've got tra- back Trevor Story, he along Tommy Fam. Both 15 home runs, Bobby Dollback, Kevin Ploiecki towards the bottom of the fold. These guys have not necessarily been too trustworthy, but I do like the over in this spot. I do think that the Rangers get to Rich Hill, but I also think that the Red Sox are going to do a good job of being able to get to Texas. And this Texas bullpen, though, has been a little bit better than the Boston Red Sox recently. Still not great. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 144 when it comes to Red Sox, and. It begs the question, what are we seeing with the run line right now? And with it being right around about a minus 135 to a minus 140 on getting a run and half with the Rangers, and it being about plus 120 to about a plus 115 on the Red Sox, I would honestly rather take a run and half here with the Texas Rangers because they do have that fearsome lineup. They will be getting last ups if they're down, say two runs going into the ninth inning, because I would only be willing to lay up to about a minus 144 here with the Red Sox. I would need more about a plus 144 with the Rangers, so I wouldn't be able to take them on the bunny line at current numbers. I'll personally be waiting overnight to see if we wind up seeing north of plus 140 populate, but at current numbers, I'd be willing to lay about a minus 135 to a minus 140 on a Rangers getting a run and half run line to go along with this total over, as we've seen home teams have a little bit of a tough time being able to cover the run line, and we wrap things up with 965-966 on the betting board. The Oakland A's, they throw it face-off against the Washington Nationals. Ken Waldichuk is going to be going for the A's and Paulo Espino is on the bump for the Nationals. Currently, only DraftKings has a number on this one. Nationals are minus 120. Even money on Oakland with a total of 7.5 over minus 120. And the under is even on the juice. And I feel like the Oakland A's should be the slightest of slight favorites. I set them as a minus 102. So, at current numbers and... Well, being out here in the lovely state of Nevada, I do not have DraftKings, so I'm going to be waiting for this to populate to other books, but at current numbers, I would be taking a look at Oakland on the money line, and I would be taking a look at an over as well. When you got a guy by the name of Ken Waldachuk on the mound, that's not necessarily what you want in terms of a 7.5 over, but you do take a look at what our good friend Chuck, which is a very fun name to say, has done at the AAA level. He's been pretty good. I mean, overall at the minor league level, he's made 21 overall appearances between AA and AAA. He's posting up a 2.84 ERA. He hasn't necessarily lent the world's greatest length as he's averaging a little bit less than 5 innings per total appearance, but... Able to do a nice job in all really forms of pitching as he's only made a few appearances with the Las Vegas Aviators for in total wound up posting up a 3.38 in that time span. And he is someone that, in terms of his walks, has been able to do a relatively solid job this season as he's given up right around three walks per nine innings. It's nothing great. It's nothing terrible. When it comes to Waldachuk, I do think that the big thing for him is just, Keeping things out in front of him in general in terms of that command because he's going up against a Washington Nationals team that you don't really have a lot of masters on this team. Luke Voit has been able to supply right around seventeen to eighteen home runs on his numbers overall because he wanted to begin the season with the San Diego Padres. Wayne Thomas has been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers. And then you've got Thomas, Better weeze Mike Calderfranco, guys like that. In between about a 235 to a 245. Luis Garcia has been able to move the line. In a 285. And Joey Manessas continues to be a good story. He's hitting at 300. But this is far from a great Washington Nationals lineup in which they rank in the bottom two in terms of runs scored on a per-game basis in the National League. And then for Paulo Espino. This guy is a starter. as north of 5 ERA. Meanwhile, his ERA coming out of the bullpen was right around a 202. He has given up at least three runs in four out of his last five starts. And for Espino, 453-ohm ERA compared to a 417 ERA on the road at home, he has given up in the neighborhood about 1.8-ohm runs per nine innings with 283 being the opponent's batting average now. When it comes to the Oakland A's, it certainly has been a team that's had a tough time of being able to generate a whole lot of offense. But you do have... Sean Murphy along Seth Brown being able to combine for 33 home runs. Shea Langolaris has been able to give the team a little bit of life, but he, along with Chad Pinder, Donnie Kemp, Jonah Bride, these guys are in between about a 225 to 235, as Murphy is the only guy that has seen more than 30 at-bats this season that is hitting above a 240. That is not necessarily so great, but with the Oakland A's, Big for Walde first start is that they back him up with a better bullpen as Domingo Acevedo, A.J. Puck, and Sam Muller are all guys that will be able to give you a sub 3-2 ERA. They've been dealing with a few injuries on the bullpen front, but it's still relatively solid for the Washington Nationals. Steve Cechek, posting up north of a 4 ERA, to the surprise of myself, and I'm sure very many, Arasmo Ramirez has actually been able to really put it together with this team. 3.03 ERA overall for the season. Made 12 appearances over the last three days, and he's got a bucko two ERA across like 17 and two-thirds. So, Craig is too, but Jake McGee, still an Albatross. North of a six ERA, Kyle Edwards Jr. has been relatively okay, but I do think that Waldchek has relatively solid stuff. I do like to fade guys oftentimes in their first start. I think that this is about as no pressure as no pressure winds up getting. And he's also going up against Paul Espino in the Washington Nationals, which should be able to help. So set the A's, the slightest of slight favorites. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus one or two with the A's. So I to tell at a 9.1, so I had a nine or less. We'll be taking a look at the over and that wrap things up. For the Thursday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa family Family Podcast, big thanks to Dario Melendez. He does a great job with WISN News 12, the sports director over there. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever have I'd you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at jnrs 41 Keep in mind, letters, AM. Amy does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other way. I- It is Vine an Apple Podcast Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Buy that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. This means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.